All right, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Throughout the journey of the Holy Fifty, we uh, meditate on uh, specific titles of Christ. And uh, the Church wants to build our faith throughout this, uh, this period through every single one of these titles. And the title that, that we find for Christ today is that He is the Bread of Life. So He tells us, I am the Bread of Life. And whoever eats of me shall have eternal life. So, throughout everything that Christ said, we know that He said some things literally, and He said some things figuratively. So I want to take a closer look at this title and try to dig into it a little bit deeper and see whether He really meant this literally or whether uh, He meant it figuratively. Because, I mean, this is a very bold statement to, to say that I am the bread of life and, and you have no life in you unless you eat my body and drink my blood. Um, if you remember, once he said this, people were scandalized by it and they left. And so we got to take a closer look at what, what he really meant by it, whether this was a literal or a figurative phrase. So I'm going to bring your attention to a specific case um, where Christ mentions something that doesn't sit well with the people. And I want you to pay close attention to how he responds in that specific case. So we're going to go to the Gospel of Mark. In chapter 10, we see this little passage. He says that Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God, And the disciples were astonished of his words. So, in this case, he says how hard it is for those who have riches to enter into the kingdom of God. Um, Everybody who heard this were astonished. And so he knew how everybody would react to what he said. And he knew that everybody was puzzled by it. They were astonished. They knew that this didn't make sense. That, what do you mean if we have riches, it's hard for us to enter the kingdom of heaven? So once he realized that this is how they understood him, the very next phrase is very interesting. So he says right after that, but Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. So he almost verbatim says the exact same thing again, but he adds one little word to further clarify that he didn't mean that it's just hard for you to enter into the kingdom of God if you have riches. And so he clarified by adding that little word to say how hard it is for those who trust in their riches to enter the kingdom of God. And so we see that Christ is always concerned with how he is understood. Christ knows what's in their minds and what's in their hearts. And if he is misunderstood, he's going to clarify Some things he says literally, some things he says figuratively. Whenever he said, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Or if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into heaven without your eye or without your arm than to be cast into hell. Obviously, he didn't mean that literally. So, if he says something that doesn't sit well with people, he's going to clarify. So, I want you to now pay attention to how he communicates the concept of 
Christ as the bread of life to the people and how they respond and how he further clarifies. All right? So, in chapter 6 of, of John's Gospel, he says, I am, the bread of, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he'll ha- he will live forever. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And the Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? This was absurd. So if you remember the case before, where he's talking to them about entering into the kingdom of heaven, and how difficult it is if you have riches to enter into the kingdom of heaven. They were puzzled. He clarified. Here, he says something. They're puzzled. Okay? So pay attention to how he's going to clarify. Okay? He responds and says, Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. He didn't, he didn't change a single word. He knew that they were puzzled by it. He says, look, you heard me right. You didn't misunderstand anything. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. And so many people were scandalized by this that they left. But he spoke the truth. He spoke to them what really mattered and he knew that regardless of how people perceive what he's saying, it's what matters. And he could have changed the message. He could have said, well, I don't mean like literally eat my flesh and drink my blood just figuratively or symbolically or it's just something to meditate on. No, he reiterated the exact thing where he says, you heard me right, most assuredly. In, in, the, in the Greek it will say, amen, amen, where he even validates what he's going to say before he says it. Typically you say amen after the message is said. Typically, somebody says something and then everybody says, Amen, that's true. They confirm or they affirm what was said. Here, he affirms what he's saying before he says it. And he says, Most assuredly, Amen, Amen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Most of the church messages throughout the year and most of the church life is always about fasting and prayer and a life of piety that really disciplines the flesh, which is at the heart of our Orthodox life. We, we probably fast more than two-thirds of the year. Okay? So fasting is good. But what's more important than fasting is eating. What's more important than fasting is eating, and not just eating anything. I'm not talking about going in and out and getting a burger. I'm talking about eating the flesh of the Son of Man and drinking His blood. And that's the very purpose of our life. That's why we were created, to partake of Him and to be united with Him. But we got to first believe that what He's giving us, we got to believe that what's on the altar is truly His body and His blood. Because if you don't believe how you approach it, will be totally different. How we approach the Eucharist is different than any other Protestant denomination. It's different than any other church 
that doesn't believe in the sacraments. To others, that, that's just a symbol. To us, it's not a symbol. Like what, what good does it do for you if I give you a symbol of a million dollars? I come to you and I say, here, here's, here's a symbol. Like I want to give you a gift. It's like instead of giving you real money, I'm going to give you monopoly money. <laughs> like you're just going to laugh. I don't want that. So what is this going to do for you if that's just a symbol? Look at what St. Cyril of Jerusalem says. Since Christ himself has said, this is my body, who shall dare to doubt that it is his body? You got to keep it as simple as that. If he said, this is my body, then it is his body. And I promise you, it will change everything about the way you approach the Eucharist if you first and foremost believe that this is truly his body. If you believe what his body really is, you'll approach it differently. Because his body is eternal life. I mean, this is eternal life. If I tell you there's going to be a million dollars on this altar, every morning we have a liturgy, and you got to be here at 8 a.m., I guarantee you, you won't just be here at 8 a.m., you're going to be camping out from the night before, like it's Black Friday, and you got to make sure you barge into the doors and make sure you get your hands on the prize. It's because you really believe what's on the altar is worth that much. Now, let's, let's do a little comparative value between money and eternal life. Right? Or whatever possession. Even our careers, our jobs, our families. The most important thing, your loved ones. What does that compare to eternal life? So things get a little bit more serious once you really understand what's on the altar. But you got to first believe. We're going to take a step back and meditate on something that happened from the first couple of chapters of Genesis. After the fall, when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they fell, they were cast out of paradise. But something interesting happened as soon as they were cast out. Take a look at this. The Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. He ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now he knows good and evil. And now, lest he put his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man. And now pay attention to this. He placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. He put a cherubim there to guard the garden of Eden. That way they don't return. Why? Why can they not return? Just because he wanted to make sure they really understand the consequences of their punishment? No, there, there was more to it than that. It was to protect them from partaking of the tree of life. And the first line he says, Lest he put his hand and take also of the tree of life and live forever. Because if he now is in a state of corruption, if he fell, if he tasted sin, if he is separated from God, and his nature has been defiled, what will happen if he eats of the tree of life and immortality 
he will live forever in that same condition. He will be immortally corrupted. So he wanted to protect him from going back and living forever in that same condition. See, that was the power of the tree of life. The tree of life was so powerful that it gave eternal life, that the tree of life itself was eternal life. Alright, so, if you eat from the tree of life and live forever, does that make a little connection between what we're talking about today in the gospel? If you eat from the bread of life, you will what? You have eternal life. If we, the bread of life is Christ Himself. The tree of life is Christ Himself. That is our source of immortality. That is our source of eternal life. We partake of His divinity. We share in His divine nature. I mean, that should blow everyone's mind away. I have one objective today. It is just to define what it is that's on the altar. A lot of times we come into the church and talk about how we should dress, how we should act, what we should do, and when we should attend the liturgy, and all of this stuff, which is really important. It's very important to talk about attire, it's important to talk about punctuality, it's important to talk about all of those things. But my personal opinion is that none of that stuff really needs to be said if we understand what's on the altar. You don't have to tell me to show up on time for something that matters. I mean, if my job matters to me, I'm going to show up on time. You don't have to tell me to dress up for a wedding, right? Uh, we had a couple of graduations yesterday, and I didn't have to convince any of the family members to dress up. Like, you know you're going to wear the right attire because that's something that matters to you. And especially for the youth growing up, we try to tell them, this is what you got to do, and this is what you got to wear, and this is what you got to come. We're, we're working backwards. If we just reveal what's at stake, then everything else will naturally follow. Someone who wants to be a doctor, who wants to earn his medical degree, and is really passionate about dedicating his career to that, does not need to be told to study does not need to be told to dedicate time to set aside to bury his head in the books and study day and night. It's going to naturally come because he understands what's at stake. So my question for you is, do you understand what's at stake? Because if you eat from the tree of life, if you eat from the bread of life, you will live forever. But if you don't, the inverse is also true. You have no life in you unless you eat from the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. It's, it's a very cut-dry situation where it's either this or that. St. Irenaeus says, after partaking of the Eucharist, our bodies are no longer corruptible, having the hope of eternal resurrection. This is the purpose for our creation. That we were created to live eternally with Him, to be united with Him. And this is what the fathers taught us from, from day one, from the first century until today. This is the tradition that the church has preserved for us, and we have unwaveringly held on to it. We have not deviated from it. 
everything that we do in the church revolves around the Eucharist. There is not a single sacrament that was ever practiced outside of the Eucharist. The sacrament of confession. The priest would go around right before we would partake of the Eucharist in the liturgy and take confessions. He would come up and pray the mystery of the return and say, O Lord who was crucified on the cross and accepted the confession of the right hand thief, accept the confessions of your people and grant them the forgiveness of their sins for the sake of your holy name and let it be according to your mercy and not according to our sins. Because he just took confessions from the people. The sacrament of baptism and chrismation always happened as the initiation into the sacrament. It was, it was performed and practiced at the beginning of the Eucharist. Everything leads to what? The Eucharist. If you're going to get married, it doesn't happen so much now, but believe it or not, it was in the liturgy. What happened now is unfortunately our whole life has been segmentalized. This is here, that's here, I read my Bible here, even the spiritual activities, services here, that's here. That was never the case. Everything was always united, fixed, centered, and heading towards the Eucharist. We live a Eucharistic life. I'm going to leave you with just a final... Um, Final story that, that we read a couple of weeks ago. Just to give you a better idea of the, the, the power of the Eucharist. We read the story of uh, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, the Sunday after resurrection. And it was very, very interesting how this encounter happened, where these two disciples, right after Christ was risen, started to walk to Emmaus. It was Luke and Cleopas. All right? So this is recorded in the Gospel of Luke. So traditionally we know that the other disciple that's not named is Luke himself. And his friend walking with him was Cleopas. Listen to what happened. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. So they're walking for how long? Seven miles. Uh, if you just do a rough little estimate, let's say like 20 minutes a mile, that's almost two and a half hours of just walking. And you're not just walking with anybody. They're walking with the Lord and Savior, our God, Jesus Christ himself. All right? And they're walking, talking, talking, talking this whole time. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know Him. This whole time, nothing clicked. Like they're having the sermon of their life, a two and a half hour sermon with Christ. And He's talking to them about everything. But still, nothing clicks. Okay, we're going to fast forward a little bit. Then they drew near to the village where they were going. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scripture to us? 
It was like this big light bulb. It was like, oh, now it makes sense. Everything that he talked to us about for these two and a half hours was going in one ear and out the other. But when did it click? When he broke bread. When he gave them the Eucharist. I mean, right there is that liturgy. He broke bread and he gave it to them and it clicked like that last supper. So everything went in one ear and not the other. And these are not just words of any man. These are the words of Christ Himself. So you think you're just going to keep listening to sermons. You think you're just going to keep going to meetings. You think you're going to keep talking to people, getting advice, this and that. And that's all good. That's great. Trust me, I'm not bashing on that. But nothing compares to the Eucharist. Because to them, they heard the best message in the world. But when did it click? When they partook of the Eucharist. It clicked whenever he broke bread and gave it to them. It was his body and his blood that gave them understanding. And once they knew him, he said, okay, my job here is done. Poof. It was like this little abracadabra. I'm out. So, that tells us that beyond the Eucharist, what do you need? He vanished because I got nothing more to tell you. You have my body and my blood. You need nothing else. That's, that's, that's why beyond the Eucharist, there's nothing else. We, that's the goal. That's the purpose for our whole life of worship, is to unite with Him. I hope we really grasp this concept. I hope we come with that sort of appreciation. I hope we come with our hearts burning, longing to partake of the Eucharist, that this is truly the bread of life, that we understand that within the liturgy, everything makes sense, and outside of the liturgy, nothing makes sense. None of the, the sacraments make sense outside of the liturgy. But when they are understood in their proper context, it all makes sense. For them, nothing made sense until what? The Eucharist. So you're having struggles, problems, worries, whatever. Come, partake of His body, put your worries, your anxieties, all on, on the altar, at His feet, and you'll find your answer. You'll find your answer in His broken body and His shed blood, that gift of love, that sacrifice, that answers all of your questions, that solves all of your problems, that gives you hope, that gives you power, that gives you faith. And more importantly, it gives you eternal life. I hope we really come with that sort of appreciation, that sort of longing, and that sort of understanding that we may truly benefit from the Eucharist instead of coming day by day and walking out just as we walked in and nothing really changes. Unless we change that mindset, we would always walk out differently than we walked in. We, we, I, I, I walked in today as Father Joe. I hope I walk out as Christ. Whenever I pray the Epiclesis, I pray that your Holy Spirit may descend upon these gifts and upon us that they may be changed. It's not just the bread and the wine that gets converted into the body and the blood. It's not just the bread and wine that are converted into Christ. We are the ones converted. What... what, what Good does it do for me if some loaf of bread and a chalice of wine is converted into Christ, but I walked in and walked out the same way. If that's converted, but I'm not, what does it do for me? The purpose is for me to be converted, and I pray 
that we are converted through this mystery unto God is our glory forever and to the ages of all ages. Amen.